The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State Athletics. It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. There was a time when I was a kid that I got jazzed for the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. And as Bo Jackson comes up, we talked about Ozzie Smith and you wearing a Cardinal uniform. Jackson wears baseball and football, and you did football. Uh, Yes, I played the Gipper, but I also played for real in a much earlier time. But uh, that Bo down there, that's a pretty interesting hobby he has for his vacation. When baseball ends, he winds up uh, playing playing football. I, I just, I don't know if there's ever been anyone doing that. He's remarkable, and look at that one. Bo Jackson says hello. You can hear Ronald Reagan on that clip wanting to talk again amidst the crowd noise. (laughs) Oh, wow. Rick Russell is greeted on the first pitch to Bo Jackson. Now, you know, that's going to set it up pretty interesting for him to the end of this season when he goes back to the Los Angeles Raiders. Watch this again, sir. <laughs> oh, Vin Scully on NBC, joined by the one and only then President Ronald Reagan. 1989. Bo Jackson says hello on the first pitch of the All-Star Game in Anaheim. First pitch of the bottom of the first, we should clarify. There was a time when I got jazzed about watching the All-Star Game. I was into it as a kid. I enjoyed it every year. Of course, that was also at the same time when, well, let's be honest, we didn't have all of the varying distractions going on. You had, well, at my house, you had a total of seven, roughly, television stations that you could bring in because Dad built the 50-foot tower to be able to pull in Kansas City stations. But you didn't have cable. You didn't have other things that were truly happening that night. In terms of sporting events, it was about the All-Star Game. And Major League Baseball over the years lended itself beautifully to that contest. Somewhere along the line, it got lost. Somewhere along the line, between the time I started college, which was just a month after that All-Star game where Bo Jackson hit the home run. From that point on, somewhere along the way, I began to lose interest in the All-Star game. The home run derby, of course, began to take a much bigger role as it got developed in the 90s. I remember, in fact, even being on a bus between 
St. Joe, Missouri, and Clorinda, Iowa, watching the Home Run Derby taped from the previous night as a summer collegiate team was headed for Clorinda to play baseball that night. Ironically, one of the guys that was watching that videotape on that bus that night would go on to be in the Home Run Derby a few years later. Dan Ugla, who went on to play for the Marlins and the Braves. But around 2000, something changed. And it kind of started to fade in terms of my love for it. And then there's the mess of 2002. Talking about down there with the commissioner Joe Torrey, Jerry Davis, the home plate umpire. Bob Brenly is shielded by Jerry Davis. Sandy Alderson is there. Richland, everybody getting together trying to figure out what sort of a conclusion will suit everybody. And there is no doubt, no doubt, that Joe Torrey doesn't want to hurt Freddie Garcia. Build me a buttercup in the background is just epic. Of Vicente Padilla. Now somebody will be out there saying, well, what? It's too late. What's the big deal? But these guys have worked. They've set themselves up. Their side work. Everything is for two innings max, and that's right. how they played it tonight. And I know Joe Torre and Bob Brentley, neither one of them feel comfortable with somebody who isn't their own pitcher right. running him back out there for a third or a fourth inning. Yeah, we got to the point where the all-star game itself became about having to nurse guys along and limit their innings. And you see, at a point, we went from Pete Rose barreling over Ray Fossey to win the game for the National League in 1973 to... Closing out a game in the 11th because, well, there wasn't anybody left on a roster. Garcia with a 2-2 pitch to Santiago. Game over. And this game will end in a 7-7 tie. We'll take a break and come back with much, much more. This game ends in a 7-7 tie after 11. More from Milwaukee in a moment. The irony of it is it came in the, by the way, uh, stadium of one Bud Selig, who at the time was commissioner, <clears throat> but stadium of his franchise, the Brewers. Yeah, it, it was ironic that it happened that night in Milwaukee in 2002. It did beget this, however. The game is over. And this is why home field advantage in the World Series means everything. Now, for the first time ever, the league that wins the All-Star game will earn home field advantage in the World Series. By the way, don't you just love the epic movie voiceover style guy telling us how great this will be? I hate computers sometimes. The stakes are raised. The intensity is back. The 2003 All-Star Game only on Fox. This time, it counts. 
Thank you, Brandon Peoples, for reminding me of literally this time it counts. Yeah, that's where we wound up with the All-Star game. Putting home field advantage on it. Now, now we've got the trick of tricks. Sure, why not? Let's make it like hockey. Let's just do a shootout at the end of the night. Or, I'm sorry, home run derby if it ends in a tie. After nine innings. You hear us old farts talk about how much better things were back in the day. I'm going to be perfectly honest here. I'm wishing we could go back to 1973. Now, granted, Pete Rose running over Ray Fossey was out of line. But, I mean, what would you expect for the hole that Pete Rose is? But the game doesn't have juice. It just doesn't. Okay, we'll see Shohai Itani tonight at designated hitter. We won't see him pitch. Why? He's scheduled to start Friday for the Angels. Oh, we've got to make sure that he's ready for that. Like pitching to one batter on a Tuesday night in an all-star game is going to screw up a Friday start for him. This is where we've completely screwed up the one All-Star game that was worth watching. The NBA All-Star game is a joke. The NHL All-Star game is even worse with the lack of defense. And the Pro Bowl hasn't mattered ever. And it keeps getting worse to the point that they might as well just play flag football. Major League Baseball's All-Star Game was a beautiful midsummer break that was exciting. Oh, the names that you got to see. And this isn't a complaint about the young players at all. Man, I want to see Shohei Otani more than what I do. Absolutely. I want to see Mike Trout more than I do. I want to see the best go against the best, and that's great. That's what it should be, but it is no longer that. It's, oh, hey, he's on the roster, but we probably won't pitch him because oh, he'll turn right back around and have to pitch on Friday night. Can't damage the goods. Man, how do you think the Red Sox felt? When Ray Fossey got run over by Pete Rose for crying out loud. <laughs> Damaged goods. Uh, okay, I know. It, I, it's, it's the old man in me. Old man yelling at a cloud here. But doggone it, it's a part of my childhood I do miss. <laughs> and, well, there's plenty of things out of my childhood I don't miss so I kind of cling to the ones that I do and that was one of them I miss the all-star game having juice 
and having excitement around it because it was fun. Oh, it was fun. Instead, we find ourselves relegated to trying to have that fun around a much different competition. He's on the 405 right now. He's still going. This one might hit the scoreboard in right center. Huge blast by Soto. Your derby champion as he chucks the bat high into the air. Juan Soto, the Washington Nationals, wins the 2022 T-Mobile Home Run Derby in L.A. Final call last night as heard on ESPN Radio and here on News Radio KMAN as Juan Soto wins the Home Run Derby. And while that's all fun and it was a great watch in the grand scheme of things, what's all the conversation about? Yeah, it's about the Nationals offering him a contract that he declined over the weekend and everybody going, okay, what is he going to command on the open market? We can't even have the home run derby without it being all about the Benjamins. I want to go back to being a kid on All-Star Game Night. Maybe I'll find it, find it this year despite what I know. I, I don't know. We'll see, but nonetheless, I'll watch because I because that's me. The next two nights, I'm not sure what I'll pay attention to because there, there's nothing on the schedule. <laughs> Sports-wise, one of the worst times, one of the absolute worst scheduling times in a year. It used to be, by the way, a great trivia question. What are the two nights that nothing gets played in Major League Athletics? Or college athletics. Well, it used to be Christmas Eve and the Wednesday following the All-Star game. was always one of my favorite trivia questions. Yeah, that's not not in place anymore. So, because leagues play on Christmas Eve nowadays. Coming back as, well, hey, it's me alone today. Other than the queen is seated across the uh, glass from me. Sajay in for one of the final days. The countdown is on for Sajay in this building. Boo. We need to work on the locks. Make sure that they lock her in. Oh, that's what you're trying to do. Okay. Yeah. I thought you were saying you wanted to lock me out. I was like, no, I no, like no, that's no. what you guys want. No, 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 <laughs> no. We're wanting to keep you here. Okay. I'll just, like I said, I'll move all my stuff. I'll take over <laughs> the B station and just live in B. <laughs> that's all fine and dandy until uh, Corey wakes you up in the morning to do a shift. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah at, at I'll be six. on the, I'll yeah. be on the country show with him. <laughs> Coming back, we'll touch on the Big 12 and telling the Pac-12 thanks, but no thanks as it pertains to potential merger talks. We'll dig more into that. Tim Fitzgerald with Go Power Cat will join us in the second half hour of uh, the game here this afternoon. Coming up in the second hour, we'll bring you some of the thoughts of the SEC coaches as their media days are underway and, yes, NIL, Super Conferences, all of it's up for discussion. We'll dig into that. And we do have, yes, per usual, the number two song of the day for the second hour of the show. All on the way. This is the game. 
I haven't looked to see what Kansas City topped out as temperature-wise this afternoon. We lucked out with the clouds hanging around here. Didn't hit the 100 mark. I mean, yeah, but I just still don't like it being all muggy and gross as it is. It it was going to be that way if we hit at 100 or not. Yeah. So we'll take the clouds. And the reason I'm saying that, Mitch is all set for Joan Jett, Poison, Def Leppard, and Motley Crue tonight at Kauffman Stadium. He's got some shade, but, man, that's a hot start to the concert. Yeah, and considering the start, because I had said my mom, she'd gone to that concert. She said that uh, Poison was no good on that. So hopefully it doesn't start as bad as it was for her. Uh, Let's be perfectly honest. And Mitch and I had that conversation a bit yesterday. Vince Neal's not exactly the Vince Neal of 30 years ago when we saw him here in Manhattan during the Dr. Feelgood tour. Yeah. So Crew's not exactly... And, and Brett Michaels, he's been having his own health issues with his diabetes yes. and everything. Because we went to uh, his performance at the Kansas State Fair, and it got cut real short. We were It was like probably an hour, hour and a half in, and he's like, all right, I'm done. And we're like, oh, that's it? Okay, bye. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> so, yeah, Mitch is uh, there tonight to enjoy that concert. And I look at it and go, okay, I saw all four within, let's see here, about, well, okay, the Poison was the the oddball. They were uh, at the Greeley Stampede. The rest of them I saw either when I was in high school or when I was in college. Def Leppard and Motley Crue both here. Joan Jett in Topeka at the Expo Center. So, you know, been there, kind of know that one. I'm saving my energy for not this coming weekend, Next weekend, when it's the George Strait, Chris Stapleton, and Little Big Town concert at Arrowhead. You're going to go crazy at that concert. (laughs) Uh, I'm uh, off the following Monday, so... Just preparing yourself. Yes, exactly. Making sure that I have recovery time. Because, you know, they say older you get, more recovery time. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to put it on my age. That's the reason why I'm doing that. No, it's because... Hey, I just want a little recovery it's because time. Because you're a hard partier, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Don't tell that to my doctor. Uh, so you heard me mention in the uh, sports update a few moments ago, Pete Thamel last night with the big news, and really it actually upset Pac-12 folks apparently from the sources, and even with some of the comments in here, you can tell that they are upset that this news came about, and that is that talks between a partnership and potentially a merger between the Big 12 and Pac-12, yep, out, done. A Big 12 source telling Thamel that it didn't work for a multitude of reasons, which included the fact, and, and this is the big point, because we have talked about revenue so much more than probably we should, but... The Big 12 folks, or at least the source involved here for Thamel, said that any potential deal would not have driven much revenue for the league. It is a tremendous hit that the Pac-12 is taking with the L.A. market out of the mix now. UCLA, USC making their move to the Big 10. 
the financial hit even before they left. Let, let's just note this. Before they left, the finances for the end of this year estimated were that the Pac-12 would bring in $34.4 billion. Or, sorry, million that uh, goes out to each school. Big 12 teams get 40.6 this year. It wasn't going to be until 2025 that those numbers would almost become equal. It wouldn't be until 2026 before UCLA and USC announced their intentions to leave. The estimates... It wasn't until 2026 that the Pac-12 was going to overtake the Big 12 financially with their payouts to schools. Way too far down the road for a conference that essentially got put on its deathbed by Larry Scott, their former commissioner. Some of the stupidest management decisions ever were made by Larry Scott. And I wish, just in terms of the schadenfreude, I wish that Larry Scott was still commissioner. He's the one who should be paying the price right now for the Pac-12 on the verge of implosion. He's the guy who set up a television network that is fully operated by the conference. The Big Ten Network is a cooperative deal between the Big Ten and Fox. The SEC Network, Longhorn Network, ACC Network, those are all cooperative between the respective entities and ESPN. The Pac-12 network was the only one that kept all of its third-tier rights for itself by putting together a network that it blew out to four different regions. Five different channels. One was the overall Pac-12 network channel. Then you had the four regionals. And barely got any carriage. Oh, by the way, doing it from some of the most expensive real estate in San Francisco placed the studios in said real estate in San Francisco, so ate up that much more room, which meant that much more on the lease. And during the conference tournaments, Larry Scott would hold court in a penthouse atop the MGM Grand. Yeah, guess who was paying for that? The conference. <laughs> the onions on that guy. The Pac-12 has dug themselves this hole. All of their attention got turned to Olympic sports. UCLA, not too long ago, celebrating its 100 titles all time. Well, the vast majority of those are in Olympic sports. And now you find the Pac-12 is in the position that the Big 12 was in a year ago. Everything swirling around 
Nobody is sure what's going to happen. This is why I never understood, honestly, last year as all of this was going on, how it was that it was the Big 12 that was on the cusp of falling apart when, other than the coddling of Texas, which had to happen, I mean, that's a reality of what the Big 12 has been. Other than that, from a management standpoint, it's not been managed awfully. I mean, we all have our complaints about the varying things, but in the grand scheme of things, no, it it, it wasn't managed awfully by Bob Bullsby, no. The Pac-12, on the other hand, should have been on the cusp of deflating then, given Larry Scott's mismanagement of that conference. Coupled with the presidents, of course, continuing to back him at every turn. And even to the point that they essentially took the athletic directors out of the conversation even. It was the presidents and the commissioner in the Pac-12. Well, they're getting what they uh, wrought as we now see everybody scrambling to get off of the Titanic. The Pac-12 was not happy last night. One of the issues that Pac-12 members had in potentially merging with the Big 12 was that you've got the different meteorite expiration dates coming up, but... Apparently, there were ways to work around that, and somehow the Pac-12 wasn't big on that idea. So now they've got the ACC to discuss scheduling maybe with, but honestly, is anybody going to be around to discuss it? Saw just a little while ago someone pushing the uh, San Diego State as a program that should be going into the Pac-12 because it has... So many TVs, so many more than all but three in the future Big 12 footprint. They forget that nobody in San Diego watches college or professional athletics on a consistent basis. I.e., that's why you don't have the Chargers anymore. Coming back, we'll talk more about the Ferris wheel that is cycling through in conference realignment. Tim Fitzgerald with Go Power Cat joins us next on the game. Troy Coverdale with you on the game. Sage handling the controls this afternoon. Mitch is enjoying a concert at Kauffman Stadium tonight. Dave G is parenting. So I get to fly the sucker solo, though I am helped out right now. On the phone with us, Tim Fitzgerald with GoPowerCat.com. Tim, how are you this afternoon, my friend? I'm good. I'm trying to stay inside as much as possible. Agreed. That's why I can't believe Mitch went ahead and went to this concert tonight. (laughs) I hope it was like uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers or something fitting of the heat. Uh, No, it's Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Joan Jett, and Poison. Well, he'll be a better person for watching that. That's that's good. Yeah. <laughs> I just pointed out I saw three of those in high school and college. I mean, honestly. So, 
Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm worried about the old farts on the stage going down. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, we had that conversation yesterday about Vince Neal, so yeah. Well, we heard from Pete Thamel at ESPN overnight that uh, the Big 12 has effectively told the Pac-12 thanks, but no thanks. I don't know that this is really all that surprising right now, given what to me seems to be the uh, sands that are shifting beneath the feet of the Pac-12. Yeah, they're in trouble. I mean, they're they're going through everything that the the national media incorrectly said the Big 12 would go through, and now the national media is, and Pete's been pretty straight about this. Um, he hasn't really taken sides, but a lot of members of national media are now hoping that the Big 12 can save the Pac-12 when that wasn't really ever happening last year. So people are a little perturbed, um, and I think it's added to the stress of the Pac-12, because if you remember a year ago, there was discussion of maybe adding some of the schools to the Pac-12, and then the Pac-12 determined no one was worth it. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a that was a horrible decision by the Pac-12. They would have finished off the Big 12. They would have solidified some presence in the central time zone, and they wouldn't be at 10 schools now. They'd probably be at 14 with the ability to probably go back and add two more Big 12s. So... <clears throat> They they sealed their own fate, and I don't think there's much sympathy from the Big 12 corner that the Pac-12 is going through this because um, they deem this conference unworthy of their presence, and now the tables have turned. It gets back to the utter mismanagement, and I ran through some of it in the previous segment, the utter mismanagement under Larry Scott as commissioner, and unfortunately he's not around to uh, reap what he sowed. No, um, you know, and, and and I think at the end of the day, we forget that the commissioners work for the chancellors and presidents, mm-hmm. and I think that's where the Pac-12's gone the most wrong. Larry Scott tried to take them into different directions, and it didn't work. <clears throat> George Klebikoff has stepped in, and and I think he's still getting the kind of whacked-out direction from the presidents and chancellors that don't seem to understand how much college athletics has shifted and and bluntly put toward they've shifted away from the importance of academic institution and, mm-hmm. and just the straight business of televising sports and the pac-12 seems determined to, to live in this more superior than everyone else world that it puts off other schools and also puts them in the corner now they can't exactly claim that and invite some of the schools that they would have at their table trying to get in, um, including like Boise, which is known as a weak academic school. Mm-hmm. UNLV is known as a weak academic school. San Diego State might be the only decent one out there, but even that is, is beneath the Pac-12 standards. Right, and so much of that comes down to the Big Ten and the Pac-12 were hand-in-hand in, hand in that mindset, really, and right. it, now we're seeing with the Big 12 making, or excuse me, the Big Ten making the move that they did with UCLA and USC, as you noted, it's not the academics at all that, that has anything to do with it. Right. And you know what? The Big Ten has the luxury of being the Big Ten and saying we're, we're accomplished enough here to be able to pick great athletic schools who also meet our standing somewhat. They're, you know, AAU institutions, the, the academic organization, and you know, I, they've done a good job of that. They've got more choices in the Pac-12 if they want to go that direction, but 
Uh, they seem to be holding Pat right now at 16, and I think we're headed towards 16 until what's going on with the ACC is sorted out. That is, to me, the wildest of wild cards right now because of where the ACC sits in terms of their media rights and how extensive the penalty is if anybody wants to get out of the ACC at this point. Notre Dame, of course, is a wild card, but that's just as much as anything because they're Notre Dame. Right. Notre Dame's the one absolute wild card here. Notre Dame can solidify the ACC by joining, period. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the the ACC will, will remain bonded together if Notre Dame comes into the fold, and honestly, they'd probably add West Virginia, too, which would be bad for Big 12. But, um, as I will point out in tomorrow's daily delivery video, so I'm going to scoop myself on your show. <laughs> Thank you. Um, if the Big Ten and SEC get together and essentially get in a room and say, which four ACC schools do you want, kind of have a draft, and they pick eight schools, those eight schools can break the grant of rights. It takes a majority vote to break the ACC grant of rights. Mm. And so if they go in there and say, you know what, you four schools are coming here, you four schools are going there, you just got to vote to break the grant of rights and it's over, then it's over. And so the ACC is in a bad position from that standpoint. But what's intriguing about the ACC is there's, there's some equity all the way across the board. I, I, I'm just going to say that I think Wake Forest is the only unpalatable school to others, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It, it just doesn't bring much to your table. But even if those two conferences take eight schools out of the ACC, the Big 12 would be able to go in and get four really good fits for them because each one of these three conferences kind of has a different approach to the type of schools they want. North Carolina State isn't going to get invited into either one of those conferences, but they would fit into the Big 12 very well. And if you just start lining up the, the schools, there, there's more quality there that the Big 12 could really benefit from. And if the ACC breaks, we're going to end up at three 20-team conferences. And I kind of think that's where people thought we'd end up, but it's it's pretty shocking that it's happening this quickly. Yeah, it is. And uh, with yesterday's discussion about Notre Dame and NBC potentially getting into uh, their conversations about their media deals and the fact that NBC then would have an interest potentially in the Big 12, one of the things I liked about that conversation was that you could see if uh, NBC takes the Big 12 as Tier 2 for that setup and still wind up with CBS and, hey, what do you know, your entire network just made over the air. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, because of the way Fox and ESPN have divided themselves, like the Union and Confederacy, as someone pointed out on Twitter, we've got <laughs> the North and South going to war here. Um, it, it leaves every other possible player kind of on the outside, including CBS, which has had a big role in college football for many years. And I, I'm feeling that CBS has really warmed up to the Big 12. They like the, the strength of this new conference, You know, particularly if they add schools from the Pac-12, is they'll be able to offer inventory in every available time slot. You, you could set aside one Western game a week to be Big 12 after dark, even though that's not thought as a highly rated game. That's exactly why ESPN is trying to prop up the Pac-12 mm-hmm. to keep that, that product. 
Well, they would want to pair that Pac-12 product with the ACC product, and the Big 12 offers both. It would be all-in-one, and that's that's really strong, particularly for a platform like CBS that has a sports channel still, which NBC got rid of theirs. And they also have Paramount Plus that is a thriving streaming service. So they've got a lot of places where they can put inventory, and I, I think they are intrigued by the Big 12. And one of my colleagues at 24-7 brought up a really good point. The Big 12 is going to be the most balanced, competitive conference out there. It's going to be just wild. And that means it's going to be a betters paradise. There's going to be a lot of action on Big 12 games. And the Big 12, in their effort to get young and hip, might want to integrate to the gambling world a little bit faster than everyone else and try to get those avid gamblers, those, those sports betters, locked in and watching your product. Boy, how good does that make Kansas look for actually getting a measure passed that could put them on the cusp of gambling already here by no later, you would hope, than New Year's. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, Kansas got that one right. Missouri's kind of mm-hmm. stumbling over itself towards that. I, I like how Missouri's getting marijuana in Kansas. It's like we picked our sins, and we don't agree on that either. <laughs> but um, Same as it ever yeah, was. I, yeah. I think that the sports betting aspect of this is something that is underappreciated. It is a major move in the marketplace because um, it's been going on. I mean, if anyone thinks that now that Kansas has sports betting, there'll be a bunch of degenerates running around. They've been amongst you the entire time. They've just been doing it illegally. Mm-hmm. It was gambling prohibition, basically. It brings them into the public view. It brings them into the tax dollars. And um, I think we're going to see more and more conferences really get on board with it. And that's why I think moving west could be a nice move for the Big 12, particularly if it can somehow capture the Vegas market that the Pac-12 seems to have, even though they don't have a school there. Uh, Because that is the epicenter of sports betting in the nation. That is where most of the sports books are located. And it continues to be that, despite all of the discussion, that gambling in individual states was going to start chipping away at that. It really hasn't happened. No, I, I think what we've seen is um, people have really gone legal with it. And, mm-hmm. and there's a good reason why. I mean, a bookie's a bookie. I mean, how are you going to collect your money if they decide not to pay you? So that's not going to happen with a legal sports booking. And if you look at it, most of the entities coming in with Sports gambling are Vegas-based books that are backing the local casinos. So it's it's a, a big part of what the future is going to look like in college football. And that's really what I keep pushing people to look at. Where are we going to be five years down the road, ten years down the road? When we went through expansion last time, a little more than ten years ago, when the Big 12 lost four schools, we saw Rutgers and Maryland move into the Big Ten, it was all about TV markets. And what's your cable market? How much money can ESPN make off of those, you know, adding those markets? That's, that's really not as nearly the same player. We're seeing now with cable cutters, which was unpredictable 10-plus years ago, just totally changing how people take in sports on their television. Uh, and it means the cable model just doesn't work anymore. That's in this 10 years. 10 years from now, where are we going to be? What, what are the changes going to be? And will will the fact that a school's in a big market, so to speak, like Colorado's and Denver, will that really matter? Or will it all be all about fan interaction and attachment to their schools? 
and and maybe you know gambling engagement too. So there's a lot of things out there that are hard to predict, and if you get it right, you're going to look brilliant. Boy, I tell you, I thought that maybe we'd see the pendulum start to swing back the other way after the pandemic, but uh, I'm being proven wrong. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Tim, thank you. Good to talk with you as always, my friend. Okay, my friend. We'll catch up to you soon. Tim Fitzgerald at GoPowerCat. You can, of course, uh, find his daily delivery, part of the offerings at GoPowerCat.com. Hour two, we'll take you to SEC Media Days for a few comments coming up as we make our way through the game on this Tuesday afternoon. All-Star Game coverage begins at 6 following us this evening.